Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Accessibility to birth control and abortion have become major political issues once again, but there's been little mention about how science should enter into the discussion. In a new science-based book called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences, Dr. Sarah E. Hill, a researcher in evolutionary psychology, argues that we need to have in-depth conversations about the impact the pill has on women's emotions and behaviors. Her book is published by Avery, and it brings Dr. Hill to our show now. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You write that the pill and legalized abortion have done more to progress women's rights than anything throughout history. So are you concerned that your book will be used as an argument by those who oppose the accessibility of oral contraceptives? Well, yes and no. Like, yes, you know, of course, I I don't want it being used um, in that way. But um, no, because um, there's nothing in the book that a person could use like sort of in a reasonable way um, to make that sort of an argument. I mean, you know, people who are trying to take women's rights away, well, I mean, I could write a book about like piano playing in Tanzania um, and they would use that to argue why women shouldn't have access to hormonal contraception. Um, And so I'm not, you know, there's nothing really in the book that, you know, the, the takeaway from the book isn't the pill is, you know, terrible and does all of these terrible things to women. Instead, it's, hey, um, let's start having conversations about the full range of effects that the hormonal contraceptive does have on women. So that way women can better understand their own experiences with the birth control pill and then find, you know, if they choose to be on the birth control pill, find one that's going to sort of allow them to feel maximally at home in their own bodies. By allowing women to control their fertility, hasn't the birth control pill revolutionized women's lives? You argue, in fact, that a woman's a woman's ability to regulate her own fertility is the biggest women's rights issue out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for so long, um, women were, you know, they, 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 they couldn't dream as big as men um, when it came to things like their educational and career goals. Um, And the reason for this is because, you know, most of us won't start something, um, especially something that's really challenging to undertake, um, unless we feel like we have a a really good, you know, chance of of finishing it. And so for a really long time, you know, many women, like including like my grandmother and surely, you know, my great grandmothers and other other women, um, they really, you know, always had this perpetual storm cloud of the possibility of an unintended, you know, pregnancy, which could, you know, potentially stop any sort of educational or career goals that they might have had totally in their tracks. And you say um, they're they're graduating, uh, and and entering the workforce in greater numbers than ever before. And uh, there's a good reason to believe that the pill has played a role in that. Yeah, no, absolutely, because it's like the pill has allowed women, you know, for the first time in history. Um, to really feel all but absolutely 100% certain that there's no chance of an unintended pregnancy um, sort of knocking them, you know, for a loop and then having to to deal with that. And so once you remove that from women's vision or from their purview, um, it's really allowed women to, like, set big lofty goals and then go after them. And if you look at, like, the data in terms of, um, you know, women's achievements, 
and even just women's aspirations. And what you see is that, you know, right around the time 1970, um, when the birth control pill was made legally available to single women, it's like the landscape totally changed. Um, the number of applicants to postgraduate programs dramatically increased, the number of women enrolling in colleges, I mean, entering the workforce, um, and especially entering the higher levels um, of, you know, business and medicine and law, all of those things has exploded um, in response to women being able to sort of know that if they're going to invest in their career, that they can do it and not have to worry about a pregnancy sort of benching them right in the middle of, you know, a critical point in their education or their career. You would think that people who are opposed to abortion would be supporting the use of uh, birth control. But uh, right. but but many of the same people uh, oppose both. Yeah, no, which which I guess, you know, really underscores for us that, that's, that it's not about any sort of logically consistent platform except for that it's really about limiting women's rights. Now, pharmaceutical ads on TV usually feature a long list of possible side effects, in some cases quite dangerous ones. And we've heard about some serious health risks associated with the pill, like like strokes and blood clots. Why haven't we been told about how it affects the brain? Right. Well, there's a couple of different reasons for this. And the first one is just sort of a matter of history. And historically, um, and, and it's still this way in almost all of medicine, but, you know, before we were sort of living in an age where um, everybody understood the, the really, you know, sort of inextricable link between the brain and then the rest of the body. Um, our psychological experiences have been treated sort of separate from the field of, of medicine. And so what you get is with um, medical research, um, you get a focus on sort of what I like to call like the gears and sprockets of the body, right? So it's looking at, you know, the way that the birth control pill influences your heart valve or the functioning of your circulatory system, but without any sort of a focus on how that's going to be influencing what the brain is doing. And then, of course, the downstream sort of experiential psychological effects are the results of that. Um, and so doctors, you know, and, and they're very familiar with um, the literature in medicine and all of the different ways that the birth control pill can influence the gears and sprockets of the body, but they aren't really at all, um, you know, versed. They, they don't really even read the literature in psychology and neuroscience because the two things have been treated completely separately. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see that medicine is moving into a sort of more integrated, you know, full human type of a concept. But the, most, most medicine still operates this way, where the doctors aren't really, um, you know, versed in the research that's been going on in psychology and in neuroscience. And because that's it where isn't all of being, other... Because you say it isn't being published in the medical journals that they look at, but rather in psychology and neuroscience journals. Right, yeah, exactly. And so that this is information that, you know, hasn't really been given to women because their, their doctors are, are not reading the literature that they need to be reading in order to um, sort of understand the full range of effects. So that's why doctors aren't telling women that hormonal birth control doesn't just regulate fertility, but it influences everything that a woman's hormones influence? Yeah, I mean, I think in large part, you know, there's also some political issues that we can um, 
like get into if you want to. Of also, that sort of is limited. Yeah, you're like, yeah, um, that's that's limited the, the sort of scope of the conversation. But I think that like by and large, the the primary factor that has prevented women's doctors from having these conversations with women um, has been lack of inform- lack of information. I think that most you know most doctors want to take good care of their patients and want to be able to give them you know, the, the information that is, is out there. But um, this is something that just, again, in a lot of this is just an artifact of, you know, this Cartesian mind-body split that has sort of, you know, pervaded our collective consciousness for so long um, that, you know, medicine is treated as being separate from psychology and neuroscience, even though, you know, our experiences as human beings are influenced by everything going on in our bodies. Um, and sort of as medicine begins to incorporate, you know, the, like this whole human approach more, I'm hoping that these conversations get started more in doctors' offices. Or you mentioned politics. Uh, are yep. there are there uh, some states where doctors are limited in what they can even say? Um, you know, I'm not really sure of that. Like the political issues I was thinking about sort of more have to do with um, just this idea that um, sometimes people get a little bit squeamish about conversations about um, women's sex hormones and the brain. And the people who get squeamish about this are, are women, right? And this is because for a really long time, um, we were treated as being, you know, just sort of, you know, more emotional, um, less rational versions of men because of our changing sex hormones. Um, and so for a really long time, you know, women... Um, like we have been taught that our best defense against sexist rhetoric that uses, you know, our changing sex hormones, um, you know, and influencing our brains as being the sort of, you know, uh, uh, rationale for not allowing us the same rights as men. And we were just taught to deny that sex hormones influence the brain at all. Um, and, you know, and having a conversation about what the birth control pill does to the brain and what it does to women's psychological functioning and their behavior um, means, you know, sort of first acknowledging that sex hormones play a really profound role in terms of shaping the activities of the brain. Um, and this is a difficult conversation to have thoughtfully um, because a lot of times, you know, people who don't um, fully understand the way that uh, sex hormones work and, and don't know, for example, that men's sex hormones influence their brains just as much as women's do, and that men's sex hormones actually change in a much more unpredictable way than women's do. Um, the the idea that, you know, we're talking about sex hormones um, and, you know, and, and how they influence women's brains um, it, it tends to be something that, that can be challenging to talk about um, because people, um, is, and again, you know, it's usually uh, women feel very sort of d- defensive of this. And, and again, there's, a, there's good reason for this just because of the, the history of um, us being mistreated in response to our sex hormones. But it's, um, you know, so, so we've kind of shied away as a culture, I think, um, shied away from conversations about women's sex hormones and their involvement in the brain for this reason. And this is another reason that I think that this information isn't really out there because it's, it requires sort of this other conversation about women's sex hormones in the brain that can be a little bit challenging to have.
You're right that the pill uh, can have an impact on everything from one's choice of partner, sensitivity to smells, response to stress, hunger, eating patterns, emotion regulation, friendships, aggression, mood, learning, and more. And when I uh, mentioned uh, the topic of today's shows to, to somebody, he said, oh, is that why uh, my girlfriend who was on the pill cried the whole time she was taking it? Right. Yeah, and it's very possible um, because one of the things that the birth control pill does, for example, um, is we know that it is associated with an increased risk of um, depression and anxiety. Um, and there's been research now that's been published for several decades um, demonstrating this link. And there's some, you know, sort of biological reasons um, for this, of course. And um, th- that's because the birth control pill can, uh, it changes women's um, neurotransmitter and stress hormone profiles in ways that can lead women, um, some women, um, to be really at risk and really vulnerable to the possibility of these types of mood-related side effects. Um, and so, you know, this is just like one, just like one in, you know, um, in an ocean of uh, effects that researchers have been publishing on now for a really long time in the psychology and neuroscience literature that just, you know, isn't always um, necessarily made available to um doctors or to, to women themselves. So you say that uh, scientists have been aware of this and been doing research. Uh, have some been afraid to discuss it because of concerns that women's reproductive freedoms are constantly under attack? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, again, this is um, these are really challenging conversations to have sometimes because you know, um, most scientists um, are, and especially scientists who are studying issues that of women's uh, sex hormones or the birth control pill and the way that it influences women. I mean, these people are incredibly, you know, feminist. I'm incredibly feminist. Um, and, you know, it can be um, sort of tricky when you're starting conversations about you know, where we say, look, you know, the birth control pill is absolutely amazing for women, um, but it does come with these other sorts of consequences. It's challenging to have those conversations in a thoughtful way, particularly, you know, in our current political climate. And because, you know, most of the time when you have, for example, like a, like a news story that's going to be running about the effects of you know, some research demonstrating that the birth control pill has this or that negative effects on women's brains, um, it can be taken out of context really easily. And so um, I think that there is a concern about, you know, among those who are doing the research about having these conversations. But then there's also concern from, you know, the people in the media, for example, about being um, sort of nervous about having a story run that could potentially be used in this way. I mean, just to give you an example of this, I have a, um, I have a colleague who's at a well-known university on the West Coast, um, and I'll leave him anonymous for this, but he did this you know, really amazing research demonstrating um, that this is, again, about the mental health side effects of the birth control pill, and he was particularly interested in looking at it um, during adolescence and whether taking, um, you know, hormonal contraception um, prior to the completion of brain development, so, you know, ages 19 and younger, 
whether taking the pill during these um, developmental years when the brain is still growing, whether that might increase a woman's risk of depression in the long term. And, um, and the research suggests that it may, that if you take the pill, um, you know, 19 and younger, um, it may actually increase your risk of um, depression across the lifetime, even after you're off of the birth control pill. And he wanted to get this information out there to women. He's a very, um, a very sort of ardently um, pro-female, you know, guy. And, um, and he felt like women need to have this information. And trying to, um, you know, get the press or the media to pick up a story about this was very challenging um, for him. Nobody would take it. Nobody would touch it. Um, and in part, you know, I think it's because there is this fear that when we have these really important conversations that I think women need, are ready to have, um, that, that it's going to be used in um, sort of a, a, a bad way or in a way that's going to be harmful to women. But ultimately, you know, this ends up being the very thing that's harming women is not having access to this information. But what about and, you? Are you at all afraid that your book will alarm women and lead them to turn to less effective methods of birth control that could lead them uh, with unwanted pregnancies? Right. No, I, I, I'm not afraid that, that for any woman who actually reads my book, I don't think that the information that I provide is anything that would lead women to feel like um, the benefits of the birth control pill, at least at points in their life when you know, the possibility of an unwanted pregnancy would, you know, sort of wreak havoc in their lives. Um, like, I, I don't think that the information in the book is anything that would cause women such alarm that they would walk away from the birth control pill. Like, one of the big messages in my book is, you know, look, um, here's all of this information, um, and at some points in your life, the birth control pill is probably still going to make sense it's still the best thing out there at certain points in your life. Like for young women, you know, like let's say that you're 19, 20 years old, you're, if you're sexually active and, you know, trying to pursue, you know, an edu educational goals and career goals, um, the birth control pill is amazing, you know, and it's really just still about educating yourself about what are the trade-offs that I'm making when I'm on the birth control pill. Um, and, how can I use this information about some of the effects that we know that the birth control pill can have on women's brains? How can I use this to help find um, a birth control pill that works for me? Um, because there are almost a hundred different formulations of the birth control pill that are out there. And the way that each individual woman responds to each individual one is a little bit idiosyncratic. Hmm. And so um, if women sort of know what to look out for, they can actually, you know, troubleshoot their birth control pills and find one that's going to allow them to feel maximally at home in their own bodies. Because um, there's a lot of variability. Uh, and that's one of the other sort of key takeaways from the book is that, you know, there's so much variability in the way that women respond to the birth control pill that, um, you know, it's really, it's hard to know who you're going to be, how you're going to respond. And so, a lot of it's about knowing what to look for, so that way you can try something else until you find something that works for you. I'm speaking with Dr. Sarah E. Hill. Her book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences, 
This is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM. So there are 100 different formulations. Um, do, does uh, somebody have to try them all out? Or are you suggesting that women starting the pill should keep a mood journal or tell a friend to keep an eye on them, especially if they have a, a personal family history of mood-related symptoms? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think that one of the best things that women can do if they are not yet on the birth control pill and they're planning on going on it is to keep a journal and not only keeping track of their mood, but also some of the other domains of influence that I go over in the book. Because the research shows that you know the birth control pill can influence everything ranging from mood to your ability to um, sort of self-regulate your behavior or what we common call like self-control. We know that it can be, it can be um, related to women's motivation to do things like exercise and like their feelings of vibrancy. It can affect the immune system, with... can't it? Also learning and memory? Oh yeah, learning, memory, your ability to cope with stress and the immune system. And so all of these things, you know, if women are, are able to educate themselves on what to look out for, they can keep this journal, and if things look like they're kind of going south once you are on the birth control pill, that's when you go back to your doctor and, um, and see about trying something else. And not necessarily going off the birth control pill altogether, but finding a different pill. You know, there's, um, of all these hundred, you know, different formulations that are out there, they all fall within about, like, there's four different categories of um, synthetic hormones that are used in these birth control pills. And so one of the things that I, I educate women on in the book is, you know, here is how the birth control pill works. Here is what is in them. Um, and they live in these four different categories of these four different types of synthetic progesterones or what are known as progestins. And you can use this information to strategize with your doctor about what may or may not work for you. So if you're on, for example, a birth control pill and you're keeping a journal or you have a friend who's keeping an eye on you, which I think is an amazing idea um, that I also sort of raise in the book, um, is this idea of having somebody kind of make sure that you're yourself still when, you're, um, when you go on the pill. Um, but you, if things look like your pill isn't working for you, and like let's say that you're on a birth control pill with a second-generation progestin, um, you can go to your doctor and say, this really isn't working. Like, why don't we try something with a third-generation progestin in it? Um, because, you know, one thing that we know is that these different types of progestins flip different switches on and off in the body. And so they're probably going to have very different effects in terms of some of these experiential things um, when it comes to women. And so, you know, it, it's not like an insurmountably um, complex System. It's really just all about, you know, understanding how it all works, understanding how your body works, understanding what the research shows in terms of what are some of the possible outcomes um, psychological, psychologically when it comes to the pill, and then being able um, to, you yourself as a woman, make the decision, is this working for me or not? And is it working right now or is it not going to work later? I mean, it's really just about being smarter about our choices and, you know, and for many of us. And again, you know, I am one of these people um, I was on the pill for more than a decade and knowing everything that I know now, I would probably still be on the pill for the period of during my life when I was on it. Um, but I would just do it knowing what to look out for. And I probably would have 
um, worked with my doctor a little bit more to find something um, that, you know, maybe allowed me um, to feel a little bit more at home in my body than, than what I did. And so it's, it's really just about having information um, and then using that information. You mentioned progestin. Uh, let's go into the science a bit more. The pill works mainly by mimicking the second half of a woman's uh, monthly ovulatory cycle in which the hormone progesterone is dominant. Its primary function is artificial progesterone, so-called progestin, mm-hmm. which shuts down the brain signal that prompts egg development. But that means that the ovaries aren't producing estrogen, right? Right. Uh, so what's happening? woman winding up with more male hormone than she would normally have? Right. Well, yeah. So one thing, you know, because as you alluded to, these progestins in the birth control pill they, um, they, you know, enter the hypothalamus in the brain, and that tells the brain that, that it doesn't need to do the things that it normally needs to do to kick off um, uh, egg follicle maturation. And it's the maturing of these egg follicles that leads to the release of um, the female sex hormone uh, estrogen. And um, so the birth control pill, you know, by doing the things that it does, does keep levels of estrogen incredibly low. Um, and it, it then sort of, you know, replaces these with really low levels of synthetic, um, synthetic estrogen. Um, and, and, you know, and these are mostly included um, just because they help make women feel a little bit better than they feel um, when they are on a progestin-only formula. But progestins um, but are keep... often created by changing the molecular structure of testosterone. Uh, yeah. So, are we masculine? Are there masculinizing effects as a result? There can be. So, three the first three generations of um, progestins are all synthesized exclusively from testosterone, and so they basically take testosterone molecules and tinker with them a little bit until they stimulate um, women's progesterone receptors. Um, but because they also still have some structural properties that gives them some binding affinity for testosterone receptors, this also can switch on sort of the testosterone program in women's bodies as well. Um, and so what you tend to find, especially with the first and second generation progestins, um, you tend to find that those do tend to go with some masculinizing side effects um, where women, for example, um, end up you know, getting um, a little bit hairier sometimes they end up um, getting more skin breakouts, um, and some women also report um, increases in, in things like uh, moodiness and, and that sort of thing that, that researchers think is related to the um, androgenic or testosterone-related um, effect that these progestins can have on women. So that creates um, more the, stress. The, yeah, yeah. And the third-generation progestins, even though they're synthesized from um, still synthesized from testosterone, they tend to have the uh, fewer of these types of side effects because they also have some anti-androgenic properties, which means that they um, sort of counteract this negative um, sort of testosterone um, types of effects. Um, but but what, what's, you know, I think a lot of women don't really realize is to start with that these different you know, when you have these different types of progestins um, and they're stimulating all kinds of different receptors in the, in the body and the brain, 
um, is is that they're each one is going to respond is is going to behave a little bit differently in your body, and so you know it really is worth at least trying something new if you're on the birth control pill and you like the idea of it, but you just don't like the one that you're on. Um, but also um, just sort of understanding that um, you know it the effects that you're going to get when it comes to going on the birth control pill. Um, are going to influence, you know, your body systems all over the place. You know, not only things that are influenced by um, estrogen and by progesterone, but also by testosterone. And, and, you know, all these three hormones play such an important role in terms of um, how the rest of the body sort of runs the show um, because our, our sex hormones um, you know, get expressed. I mean, they get they get picked up by many many of the cells in the body. So, if a woman feels that uh, the pill is having a negative effect on her emotionally or in other ways, uh, should she go to her doctor and say, "Can you prescribe a different ver- variety?" Would the doctor know what version might work better for her based on uh, what she's ta- telling him uh, or her uh, that she's experiencing? Right. No, that's a great question. And it's, you know, it's funny because I did a, a, a podcast interview recently with a, a man who's a, a general practitioner and he's also, and he's a head of a, a prestigious medical organization in the U.S. that I'll um, not name. Um, but he was telling me, um, and he was very forthright about it. And he said, I'm a general practitioner. I've been prescribing the birth control pill to women for you know, 30 years, and I didn't know about the different types of progestins hmm. <laughs> in the birth control pill. Um, and, and presumably somebody who works in obstetrics and gynecology, so female-specific, um, you know, uh, physicians maybe have, it, have this information, but, um, you know, sometimes they might not have it either. And so this isn't information necessarily that your doctor even knows. And so, um, you know, it's my hope that starting these conversations with women and really educating them about the way that sex hormones influence their brain, the way that the birth control pill works, what's all out there, what do we know about the different types of pills that are out there, all of this is going to give women the tools that they need to start having really informed decisions or conversations with their doctors where they can be a co-pilot in this sort of navigating the birth control pill you know, landscape. Um, and so, you know, I urge women to, you know, well, I urge them, of course, to, to read my book where this information is. But even if they choose not to read my book, to um, educate themselves on the different types of um, hormones that are in the birth control pills. So that way they can educate their doctor and work alongside their doctor to find something that, you know, hopefully um, will allow them to protect themselves from an unwanted pregnancy and also feel like they feel, you know, like themselves, maximally like themselves. You said that sometimes it leads to skin breakouts. Don't some young women uh, want to go on the pill to clear acne? Yes. And generally when women are going on the pill to clear acne, they're going on a third or a fourth generation progestin. And both of the, uh, the pills that have, have third and fourth generation progestins tend to be, um, as I sort of alluded to, anti-androgenic. So they tend to either block um, testosterone receptors um, or they, um, they don't have any, you know, 
uh, or they're sort of um, antagonistic toward testosterone. Um, and when you do this, when you block androgens in the body, it clears up the skin. Now, on the bad side, it does a whole bunch of other things too, right? But your skin might look <laughs> might look fantastic. Um, but you know, it can do, it can do things like totally kill your libido, so it can make you totally uninterested in sex, and it can also, um, you know, like sort of initiate just a whole other um, range of uh, psychological and um, behavioral effects that were not, you know, we're still in the process of, of sort of beginning to understand. So the the role of testosterone... Here, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Finish. Oh, oh I was just going to say, you know, the role of testosterone in women's behavior, because we, we know that it influences sexual motivation and, and a whole host of sort of sex-related um, psychological, you know, uh, effects. But, but it, it's something that's been understudied and underappreciated, and it's only really recently that researchers are beginning to understand that testosterone is, is important and, for women. Just we're like gonna, and we're going to get to that in just a moment as we continue our conversation. You are listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. <laughs> You wind me and dine me when I was your girl Promised if I'd be your wife, you'd show me the world But all I've seen of this old world is a bed and a doctor bill I'm tearing down your brooder house, cause now I've got the pill all these years I've stayed at home while you had all your fun And every year that's gone by another baby's come There's gonna be some changes made right here on Nursery We're back with Dr. Sarah E. Hill. Her book is This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences, published by Avery. And uh, Dr. Hill, we try to find appropriate music for every segment. Yeah. Luckily, Loretta Lynn wrote a song about the pill. <laughs> I loved that. I was over here tapping my foot and smiling. <laughs> now, getting back to what you were saying and to the, the science of it all, are you arguing that being on the birth control pill makes a woman a different version of herself than when she's off of it? And there's just no way around this issue. You know, our, our sex hormones, even though we only really think about them in terms of what they do from our neck down, um, you know, we think about and we think about the pill in terms of like ovaries and, you know, the uterus and all of this stuff. Um, our, our sex hormones are like a really important part of the signaling molecules that our brain uses to create the experience of being the person that we are. And so um, there's just no way around the, the fact that when you change this and you sort of suppress a woman's own levels of sex hormones and replace them, you know, with this daily dose of these hormones, um, there, there's no way that it can't change what women's brains are doing. And for some women, these changes are things that are positive. So we know from research that women who have severe PMS and PMDD oftentimes feel world universe is better when they're on the birth control pill compared to when they're off of it. Um, but, and for some women, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to change it for the worse. And for some, they won't really notice the effects, but 
there's no way around the fact that the, the taking the birth control pill and sort of changing part of the signaling molecule or the signaling architecture that our brain is using to create the experience of the person we are, there's no way around the idea that the pill changes the brain for, for, because it for, has to. For instance, women on the pill have a dampened cortisol spike in response mm-hmm. to stress. Isn't it a, a good thing to have less stress? Wouldn't it be amazing <laughs> if there was a pill we could take that would allow us to um, to uh, sort of be less stressed out? Um, unfortunately, especially you know, we, recently, <laughs> yeah, looking at yeah, what's no going kidding. on in the world. Yeah, I know exactly. I was like, I would do birth control for everyone if that was um, <laughs> the case. Men, I'm going to children, take the pill every dogs. time I watch the news. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Until then, there's scotch. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, we tend to think about cortisol as this bad guy um, because we always think, you know, it happens in the context of stress. And we know that if you have too much of that, um, that, that it's not good for the body and it's not good for the brain. But, but cortisol is um, actually, you know, when we experience it the way that we're supposed to, which is just, you know, when, you know, you're feeling really stressed out, like watching the news or giving a presentation in front of a group of people, um, your body releases cortisol to actually help you cope with stress. Um, so so it's not what causes stress, right? Life is what causes stress. The, the president <laughs> causes stress. Um, but, uh, but cortisol doesn't cause stress. It helps us resolve stress. And, um, you know, not having a dynamic uh, cortisol response to stressful situations is something that actually makes us less able to cope with stress and less able to allow our brain to do some of the things that um, stress hormones help our brains do, like Stress hormones help us learn about, you know, and remember things. And it does this because, you know, if you're going through something stressful, it's a good idea to sort of learn from that experience and actually, make, you know, sort of absorb the experience as it happens. So that way you're better able to deal with similar experiences in the future. And there's research showing that lacking the cortisol response to stress um, when you're on the birth control pill, which a lot of research has shown, um, is associated with um, some problems with learning and, and memory that are directly related to this lack of stress hormones. And it also is related to problems with mood regulation. And now we know from decades of research that um, the birth control pill for some women can cause some pretty profound um, negative influences on, on mood. Uh, I th- I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, people listening right now who uh, would like to join this conversation, have all sorts of questions uh, that um, that have arisen as a result of what we've been discussing. So is it okay if I invite listeners to join us? Sure thing. Okay. Our call-in number is 212-209-2877. That's 212 212- 209-2877. If you would like to join this conversation with Dr. Sarah E. Hill, her book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, uh, you, uh, because the pill influences who women are attracted to, being on the pill might inadvertently influence who they choose as partners? Yeah, I know. This is probably the thing that um, when most people hear it, their ears sort of prick up a little bit. Um, like mine did, because it sounded so outrageous that I couldn't believe that it would be true. Um, but, you know, there's been research now for a really long time that has shown that um, women's sex hormones um, ha- play an important role 
in terms of um, sort of women's attunement toward men in general. Um, so, for example, the sex hormone estrogen um, is like associated with an increased sort of attunement to men. So like noticing men more and being more interested in sex in general. Um, but it's also related to a woman's preference for um, cues that uh, in men are associated with testosterone. So, for example... So if they have um, more facial hair or less facial hair, that becomes an issue? Not so much about facial hair. It's, it's more about other types of testosterone markers. Mm. So, for example, um, somebody who's got a square jaw, mm. sort of a deeper, deeper set eyes and a, and a deeper brow or like a stronger... Dr- brow ridge, my brain, my mouth is not wanting to say that word, um, you know, deeper voice, um, a masculinized gait, um, having that social dominance, all of these are sort of, these are all cues that are related to um, testosterone presence in men. And there's been research now for a really long time showing that um, women's sex hormone estrogen uh, predicts um, a preference for these types of cues. And we find that women's uh, preference for men having testosterone markers, um, you know, is highest at times in the cycle when levels of estrogen are high, um, and it seems to sort of follow the estrogen curve across the cycle with higher levels of estrogen, predicting a greater emphasis on cues that have historically been linked with testosterone presence. We and have so, a, we have a lot of calls coming in. I want to get to them. But uh, <laughs> this leads me to one more question before I get to those calls. Okay, so a woman's been on the pill. She's been attracted to a certain kind of man. Uh, then she gets off the pill, and suddenly her husband is no longer attractive to her or the, the, the men who she liked in the past? That does happen sometimes. So there's been um, research that shows that if women chose their partner when they were on the birth control pill and then they go off of it, um, that their sexual satisfaction decreases as a result and that their relationship, uh, their relationship satisfaction changes. Um, but whether those changes are positive or negative depend on how attractive their partner is. <laughs> and so women who were, chose their partner when they're on the pill and then go off of it, if they have a hot partner they actually report more satisfaction with their partner than they did prior um, to going off of the pill, whereas women who are partnered to less attractive part- partners they report less satisfaction with their relationship partner um, in response to this. And so, um, and there's been some mixed results um, in terms of follow-up research on this, but there's, um, you know, there's a sort of growing body of research that suggests that for some women, there can be some changes in relationship to sexual satisfaction and attraction to their partners um, in response to um, changing their, their hormone status. None of this occurs, of course, if somebody is taking using an IUD. Uh, condoms, of course, can be very unreliable. But let's, should we take some calls? Sure. But let me just hasten to add that it's, um, this doesn't happen with a non-hormonal IUD. With hormonal oh. IUDs, oh, the are hormonal IUDs, right. the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, BAI, you're on the air. Hello? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Um, I prefer Could you talk up a little bit? Because it's really um, hard to hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes, better. I took birth control pills maybe 50 years ago, and they did have a few different kinds. And while I appreciate the work that's being done now, I don't hear any discussion of the health effects and the cancer risk and other health effects that I experienced. 
Well, how, how long were you longer. on the pill? I was on the pill for two and a half years. Uh, so not long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so, I mean, for the, the, the conversation that, that I wanted to start, because I'm a, I'm a psychologist and so I'm a research psychologist. And, um, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, there's been a, a great deal of, of research and, and much of this information is communicated to women, not all of it. Um, in their doctor's office, because this is the type of information that a medical doctor, um, you know, should have access to. Um, and so the, the focus of um, my book has been more about having the conversations about the ways that it can influence um, the, the, the brain and then in the psychological functioning. But you're absolutely correct. I and mean, there are, you know, because hormones change so many things in the body at one time, they are going to have a cascading impact on many different systems that have long-term influences or impact on women's health. Thank you for your call. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Yes, good afternoon. Um, Leonard, I am shocked by the way you just brushed off uh, condoms by saying they're unreliable. When you okay. properly, they're over 99% reliable. You shouldn't. Okay. Across the air, please. Well, I haven't done a study. I've only uh, heard... Uh, from people who had bad experiences. But, uh, okay, well, you know, I we'll correct that. Dr. Hill, what do you say? Does, you know, I know somebody down the block does things that I don't like, but I don't, you know. Okay, well, I apologize. <laughs> Dr. Okay. Hill? Yeah. Yeah, oh, about the condoms? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it depends on, it's, it's one of those things where when they're used correctly um, and used every time, they are they are very effective. Um, the I think that the I said they can be of, uh, unreliable. I didn't say they are unreliable. So. Right. Well, no. Yes, the users who are unreliable, <laughs> right? Like it's people, right? And humans are sort of um, notoriously flawed. <laughs> and one of the ways that we're flawed is um, that we're not always um, prepared, and, and especially when it's something that we have to like think about. And, um, you know, which is why a lot of, you know, medical doctors who prescribe the birth control pill, um, they always like to say that the best birth control is the one that you don't have to think about because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's always going to work because you don't have to think about it. Well, what happens um, if somebody and, misses taking a pill? Yeah, well, no, there's that. But I, I'm thinking more in terms of like, like the IUDs and the, the implants and the shots where you just have to do it once every three months. If you do miss a pill... You can take two pills the next day, um, and still, you know, be it's, it's still pretty effective. Um, but yeah, it's also not, you know, it's also not fail safe. I mean, the uh, the other piece of this is that you know women are more motivated to remember to take their birth control pills than men are motivated to remember to bring condoms, or women are even necessarily motivated to remember to bring condoms because there's always that issue of who's bringing the condoms. You know, so who's responsible for that? And, you know, it, there, there's just more room for error. Of course, there's the other to... side. You can, uh, if you are in a long-term relationship, married, a vasectomy, uh, men can take control of this whole situation. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're done having children, then that's certainly an opportunity for men to take the reins and to do so, um, you know, in a way that is going to, um, you know, offer you know, incredibly effective um, birth control and, you know, sort of take the, the onus off of women to have to come up with a way to um, regulate the fertility within the context of the relationship. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Leonard? Yes. Um, I was wondering about um, uh, something a little bit more natural, like uh, um, mm-hmm. Um, changing the pH, like with lemon juice and water, 
That's what I've heard about. Um, you know, um, why we have to go to something that's going to mess with the head, you know, mess with your brain and the rest of your body. Uh, why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have you heard about that, Dr. Hill? Lemon yeah, juice? there's a lot. Yeah, there's a um, there's a growing number of women who are beginning to do what's known as the fertility awareness method or FAM, and um, and it can be. This is another one of those things where it can be very effective when you use it correctly. So when you do things like keep track of your um, body's pH, your your body's core temperature, you keep track of things. You learn about cervical mucus and some of these other things. Like you can know pretty accurately whether or not you're at a point in your cycle um, when conception is likely to occur. And when it's used correctly, I mean, I've heard all kinds of statistics put out there. I have not seen um, anything published recently that has the types of effectiveness rates that some people like to propose that it has, because I've heard people say everything from 99%, you know, but it seems to indicate that it's it can be in the 90, you know, the 90 percentages, like based on the research I've seen with this method, um, just because it's, it's not everybody can use it effectively if their cycles aren't regular, they have a harder time with it. Um, and this is a really great method if you have regular cycles, and especially if you are at a point in your life when an unintended pr- pregnancy wouldn't be catastrophic. Um, but for women for whom an unintended pregnancy would be catastrophic. Um, you know, this isn't my favorite method just because there is the probability of the probability of error isn't perfect. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's there, there's too much room for something to go wrong with this, but especially for women who are at a point in their life where, a, you know, they don't desire to become pregnant, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. And for these women, you know, I think that it, it can be a really good option. Now, um, th- thank you for your call. Uh, getting back to the previous caller, we've checked with PlannedParenthood.org, and uh, they wrote, quote, if you use condoms perfectly every single time you have sex, they are 98% effective at preventing pregnancy. But people aren't perfect, so in real life, condoms are 85% effective. And uh, right. so when I said they're not always reliable, uh, I'm, I'm, maybe I shouldn't have apologized. They are often reliable. Obviously, it's better than the alternative. Uh, should right. we take another call? Sure. Okay. BAI, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I'm calling because I was really, really surprised to hear about the depression aspect of it. I come from a very depressed family. However, in the early 60s, I was put on birth control, and I became very, very, very depressed to the point of making a feeble attempt at suicide. So I'm really surprised, but also grateful that that could have been a lot of my issue. So I thank you for bringing this up. Wow, wow, thank you, wow. Um, So let me tell you that um, they recently, so there's been a couple of different um, lines of research that really speak to exactly what you're talking about. Um, one of them is a study where they followed in the entire population of Denmark, and they, they followed all of the women there, and they looked at whether going on the birth control pill um, it increases the risk that a woman will subsequently be diagnosed with depression, um, subsequently diagnosed a um, 
antidepressant or in a later study, whether it would be associated with a greater risk of it in its suicide attempt or um, actually suicidal behavior. And what these different studies have found is that going on the birth control pill um, does increase a woman's risk of um, subsequently being diagnosed with depression or going on an antidepressant, right, in that these effects are particularly steep for women who are 19 and younger. So women right in the age range that you were during the time that you were on it, that um, it seems like young women are particularly vulnerable to these effects. Um, and then with the suicide uh, study, which they followed up on later on with the different um, sort of cohort, but again, looking at the whole population of Denmark, this is this really huge sample. Um, and what they found was that being, being on the birth control pill um, also increases a woman's risk of um, a suicide attempt or actual suicidal behavior. Um, and again, that these effects are very, are most pronounced. I think it increases it by like, it's like three times higher um, for women who are on the pill versus not in this age range of 19 and younger. And so it's like so important that we educate moms about these effects because so many girls are being put on hormonal contraception for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with um, pregnancy prevention during this time in... For example, regulating their their periods. Yeah, or like to regulate their period or decrease cramps. And um, and there's, you know, so much research now that, that suggests, I mean, not only that, you know, the pill can influence your risk of depression and anxiety, but also that it can influence suicide risk and that, and that the people who are asymmetrically burdened by these negative mental health consequences are these young girls. Um, and so, and I think that most parents would be shocked to know that they were, you know, because most parents would at least take, you know, some time to really be thoughtful about whether to let their daughter go on the pill to, you know, make their skin look better or decrease their cramping if they knew that this was a possibility, or at least they would know to monitor them. Because again, this isn't about let's scare everybody away from the birth control pill, because it's not about that. Not everybody has these effects, but instead it's about having the information. So that way, you know, like if you have a daughter and she's going on the birth control pill, um, you need to keep an eye on her um, because there's, you know, there's women who have these um, types of episodes and, and while others might not. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's absolutely tragic that um, that that women ca- can be dying um, in response to something when when the information is out there, but it just hasn't been made available to women. We're, I think that, you know, we need to look out for one another. We need to look out for our daughters and our friends and our and our, and our mothers. We're pretty much out of time, but I want to sneak one more call in here. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hi, is this, am I the one? I'm you're you're the last caller. You're on the air. Okay, great. This is really important. Um, I ended up, I was on the pill for like eight years, and I decided, because my marriage was not happy, and I decided to get off of it without telling my doctor. It was just an internist, and, and I have no idea what kind of birth control, because they gave me the samples that they got, so I didn't have to pay for it. And I ended up in a mental hospital, and um, yeah. it was all psychotic, and all the whole, but there were a lot of people there that was affected that, that they, you know, but it was like, very confusing. And then I found out later on that that could have been the reason that I did, you know, and I was told by my doctor, I should have told her that I was going off of it because that would have been one of the consequences. And I had no idea. And it took me 30 years. I'm still recovering from this. So so it was after really you, after you stopped taking the pill that you had the major problem. Well, yeah, I had to stop taking the pill, but um, I, I didn't know that that, but I had a, 
my intuition told me to tell them, but nobody knew at the time when I it was in the nineties that I that I um, went to the hospital. They had no idea until like when I went back for the support group and I mentioned this. I said I suspect that was a, a cause, and they go, you know what? They have discovered that, and I wish I had opened my mouth, but nobody would believe me because I was like, you know, out of it. Alas, we've run out so, of time. Uh, Thank you so much for your call. And Dr. Hill, thank you so much for coming by to talk about your book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control, The Surprising Science of Women, Hormones, and the Law of Unintended Consequences, published by Avery. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, if you're new to our program and you like what you've been hearing, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available as an iTunes podcast. And don't forget to check out Leonard Lopate at Large on Facebook and Twitter. And also our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com, where you can find links to all of our past shows. We hope you'll join us tomorrow when we will be looking into the fascinating history of the George Washington Bridge. We'll see you then, but uh, we hope that we'll be seeing you far into the future, and we encourage you, if you have not already become a member of WBAI, to give us a call and become a member, especially if you can become a BAI buddy. Our pledge line is 516-620-3602, or you can go to WBAI.org and follow the instructions. Thank you so much if you have done it already, and I hope that you will if you haven't.